Today on Let Me Be Frank, Bishop Caggiano talks about New Year's resolutions, and he's talking about spiritual resolutions in particular. But first, we'll have some fun recounting some stories of winters growing up with the Caggianos in Brooklyn, and maybe some stories from his winter studying abroad in Rome. I think we have a pretty fun episode ahead, so do not turn your radio away from 1350 AM or 103.9 FM. And as you know, you can always hear us on your phone using the Veritas mobile app. The app is available at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at VeritasCatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. All right, welcome back. I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, nice to see you again, my friend. This is take two for us. We lost an episode, didn't we? Because technological problems... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, we but you know, uh I guess I take consolation in the fact that we did 96 episodes just right. Nothing happened and then and then this, almost 100 it episodes. Meant. It was maybe it wasn't meant. It wasn't yeah. meant. But yeah. um but here we are. Uh you know last Friday uh mm-hmm. I know you didn't go down to DC, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. um do you watch uh, on TV the March for Life, or do you kind of keep up with it a little bit? I, I do it through <coughs> Catholic News. Uh-huh. I keep up. They, they do their, their, their bullet, their updates. And yes. then, of course, they run a whole series of articles. They ran a series of articles before and a series of articles after. It's, there seemed to be a whole new enthusiasm. Yeah. Right? There, which is great. Right. Probably because of uh, Dobbs before the Supreme Court. Yeah, but I think... I've said this before, and I don't want to to dampen that enthusiasm because I think um, it is absolutely essential that the Lord changes, but the Lord won't convert hearts. Yes. And the real work ahead is converting hearts so that the culture of death would not have the hold it has on our society. And that, I'm not sure we are making as much progress as we should be making, right? Yeah. We've talked about that before, and it just worries me. Yeah. Because um, if Roe v. Wade is either restricted or overturned, then that that's a significant step, but there's tons and tons and maybe generations of work to be done to convert people's hearts on the value of life, Right. Yes. Yeah. The law is not going to do that itself. Right? Yeah. Even if the law is overturned, the culture is still going the wrong direction. And right. And and unfortunately, if people want to have it, uh, they want to advocate for it, they will find illegal ways to do it. Sadly to say, but because yeah. that was what was true before. So if we want to really truly protect life, we have to convert people's hearts. Yes. And the real question then is, how do you do that? 
Yeah. Yeah. How do you do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the the March is, is a, a great event. Looked like fun Absolutely. this year. It looked cold. <laughs> well, it was. And I think a lot of young people, which is always great. It's remarkable yeah. to see the young people so, so convinced. So let's take a few minutes. I know it's not our topic for today. But so how do you change a culture? How do, how do you change a mindset? I think it, it, starts, uh, it starts with people like you and me and other Catholics that we know mm-hmm. changing mm-hmm. our own hearts and then our families. Mm-hmm. And then it's got to slowly build out that way. I think mm-hmm. politics and culture are downstream from morality and uh, individual mm-hmm. you know, character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... You've heard me say in catechesis that there are the three pathways to God, truth, beauty, and goodness, mind, heart, and will. And I think you could apply the same principle to changing a culture. And sometimes we forget that. And a strategy, a strategy has to be intentional to engage all three. So when a business person takes over a company and wants to change the culture of the company, he or she creates a strategic plan that changes the, 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 the way people understand, think about it, how they feel about it, and what they're asked to do about it. So I, my question is, even in the pro-life work we're doing here in the United States, do we actually have a comprehensive strategy that engages all three aspects simultaneously to try to change the culture? It's an interesting question because you can argue the value of life intellectually. And I think that is clear. I mean, anybody who really is reasonable can understand that. It gets muddled with the question of individual rights and control and quote-unquote choice. But in fact... If you presume that that fetus is a human life, then the value it is logical, even to a non-believer. And the fact that um, one could argue that a fetus is a human life is also itself logical and rational, right? That we could argue about. Yes. But I think the truth is there. It's the other two pieces that we have to work on. And sometimes... And not to critique, but engaging the heart. There have been attempts in the past to engage the heart with almost a shock to the heart when you depict, you know, aborted fetuses because they're meant to, 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 to strike at, at the deep affective response a person has by saying, well, this is barbaric, this is evil, this is, this is terrible. But I wonder if we haven't also underutilized the power of engaging the heart in a positive way. Now we're beginning to do that. For example, uh, people whom we say have disabilities, speaking powerfully about the value of their life and the value of, 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 of the beauty of their life and what they've contributed also engages the heart in a positive, right way. Yes. So I think we have to give thought to that. And of course, in the heart realm is prayer. Intentionally praying for the conversion of hearts. 
We pray for the end of the culture, but let's pray for conversion of hearts, everybody's hearts, everybody's hearts, yeah. in all of life, not just unborn life. And then the will, I mean, one of the great initiatives we have in our diocese is Malta House. Tremendous. For those on our podcast who don't know Malta House, Steve, you know about Malta House, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Explain it to everybody. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a home for um, unwed pregnant mothers to go and live and um, learn um, how to take care of their baby, um, other uh, life or job skills that they might need. Um, but it's just a safe mm-hmm. place for women and their unborn babies to be uh-huh. as they get ready for mm-hmm. the birth of their ch- children. And for a number of months afterwards, right? Yes. It could be as much yes. as 18 months, right? So that we create a bridge, right? So that, that this this woman not only has the ability to have this child... Or she comes to Malta House already with the child, but she's provided the resources and the accompaniment and the, and the dignity of the space to be able to care for a child and also create a bridge for a life where she could support the child, right? Yes. So it's, it's not to be lived there forever. But now, why is that extremely important? It's extremely important because it engages the third piece, the will, because what we're saying as a people of faith is that we will do what is necessary to protect life, even once it's born. So much do we wish the culture to understand they need to follow that lead. And the more we can do that, both supporting Walter House and so many other initiatives where people in, that, 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 that take life and protect it, nurture it, and help it to grow, Unborn life, developing life, children, young people, the elderly, the abused, those who are horribly sexually abused and need our help, and those who are in domestic violence and all that, all life, we put our money where our mouth is, that changes culture. Right? Yes. Yep. Okay. Amen. Mm-hmm. So that got serious. <laughs> I, it did. Now you want to talk about the winter. Sorry. <laughs> I wanted to ask you um, about uh, uh, the snow that we've had the couple weeks and kind of oh, lead that please. into. Yeah. Aggravation, aggravation. <laughs> you don't like the cold weather anyway, Excellency, right? No, actually, I must confess, I, 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 I'm like everything else. I answer the questions with a little bit of yes and a little bit of no. You know how I am. I mean, on one hand, I don't like acclimating to the winter so like november and december is like torturous uh-huh but once it does get cold it um there's a beauty to it right even when it snows there's a beauty to it yeah like for example i just realized that this weekend again it was this cold it was how many times to go into our house and not allude to the fact we're into our our house our home our place of comfort our place but when you come out of the freezing cold and step into a warm house, it's a totally different emotional experience, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? And, and, and funny, I mean, I was, uh, I forget where I was now. When I walked in, I just closed the door and I just stood by the door just to feel the warmth. <laughs> I remember doing that as a little boy. Because the rule was you had to take off your coat and your hats and your boots and all the at the door, not prance through the house with them, right? So it's <laughs> right. almost as if I was transported 55, 60 years ago. 
right? And I, I had this sense of welcome and comfort and and um, protection and that really was so reminiscent of when I was a boy and it just happened. Wow. Right? So yeah. winter does that too, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, to me, all the all the seasons do that. But yeah, winter, um, definitely getting bundled up and uh, getting hot chocolate when you come back in. Excellency, did you make yourself yeah, hot chocolate? Yeah, when I was skinny. I used to do that when I was skinny. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> nope. So, no. So let's, let's go back 45, 50 years mm-hmm. and tell mm-hmm. me about winters in Brooklyn with the Caggianos. Well, I mean, until I was 10, we lived in an apartment. So it was more observing the winter, right? Looking over the avenue. And um, I, I remember the sound of chains rattling as a sign that we, it really was snowing. Chances are there would be no school because they used to wrap the uh, wheels of the buses with mm. chains. Now, I guess they don't huh. do that anymore. Maybe they do, but I mean, in those days they did because you broke up the ice, literally. Yeah. You broke up the snow as you were driving along. But you would hear is like, it's almost like idyllically, I guess with like sleigh bells and, you know, in the old days with the sleds and the horses, <laughs> you would hear the clink, 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 but the same thing. So I'd be in bed and say to myself, yes, Lord, yes, thank you. <laughs> Inevitably, school was out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If you got to that point. But... Um, you remember my telling of the story of 9-11 when the city was just absolutely quiet. Yes. Well, winter was the closest approximation of that when people were just getting up, but there wasn't much traffic. Every once in a while, a bus would come through with the chains, but there was a stillness and there was this tremendous beauty, right, to the city. And once again, it was the comfort, safety, and warmth of your home that, like, I would hang out the window, literally, because we were on the third floor. But when you close the window, um, it, there was a sense of protection, right? Yeah. Almost like you're watching a and, movie or a TV through the window. Right, right. And then, of course, we would, if there was no school, even if there was school, but if there was no school, then at a certain point, we would go out. I would yes. go out. My friends would go out. We would play. We would do that. Again, we were on an avenue. We were on a commercial avenue growing up when I was growing up. So it wasn't like what we typically have in Fairfield County. So, you know, the storekeepers would come. They'd try to move the snow away. And, and you know, if we wanted to build a snowman, you have to have the benevolence of the snow key, of the storekeeper because he'd come and take it down. So, you know, <laughs> right. the whole thing. So life is all about negotiation in the end. <laughs> but uh, so there was a, yeah, I mean, there was just, I just... Um, I'm not exactly sure what the word is to describe the emotional experience of it. But because it was special and in some cases rare and it was welcome because it broke the routine of school and all the rest, there was something about it was it, it was an inviting experience as a little kid. And then one of my friends lived on a private street and he had a big backyard too. So we would eventually meander our way over and then okay. we'd play snowballs and all the rest and build snowmen. And, and we didn't sled because we didn't really have sleds per se. Uh-huh. I mean, we are in Brooklyn. for I mean, you ran skis or any of that stuff. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but we had garbage cans. 
so you had garbage can covers that kind of were like slits, <laughs> right? <laughs> especially, especially the aluminum ones, believe it or not, because they would, because of the friction, huh. they would have a, a layer of water, and then if you waited, the water froze. So you talk about really, you could gain some real traction or, wow. or, or, or velocity. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Those those also double as like shields for your snowball fight. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it was uh, one year. I remember I have this distinct recollection of trying to make an igloo, which completely failed. All right. We we didn't quite get the construction mechanics <laughs> right. of how that worked. So it became more like a, a three sided um, pit <laughs> more than anything else. <laughs> Because nothing quite stood up to the to the uh, roofing part. But again, as a kid, who cared? Yeah. Right. So then it as sounds... we grow older, we didn't bother. I mean, it, as we grow older, it became more a nuisance than anything else. But anyway, it sounds like. Yeah. No, I was going to say it sounds like you didn't have to shovel either because the store owners would take care of all that. Right. And they would be fined if they didn't. Aha. Uh-huh. See, and in the city, uh, my recollection is. When we moved to the house, um, I remember someone saying this. You had a certain amount of hours after the snow ended to shovel your sidewalk. I forget if it's six or eight hours. I mean, some of the listeners would know better than I at this point. It's been so long, but um, then you were required to shovel too. All the houses are required to shovel in the city because city yeah. only plowed the streets, right? Yeah. And then it was the battle of the snow. Mm. Because the, the poor sanitation crews came in to clear the streets, and then everybody shoveled their sidewalks and threw the snow back into the street. <laughs> right. So then they come back again, then you throw it again, then you come yeah. back again, then you had to clear out your driveways for the people on driveways. It was quite the comedy. And then they create these huge mounds of snow that literally one year lasted to Easter. Wow. I'll never forget. Yeah, but it was. The, the mounds were higher than your typical SUV. Wow. Right. And it took a long time for it to melt. Like now, I mean, our, our temperatures are below normal. We were doing great. Now it's, I don't know if that pattern's going to stay or not, but I think for the, at least for the next week, it's going to be abnormally cold for us. Yeah. So I've, I don't know in your neck of the woods, is the snow has melted already or is melting. I don't No, we no? still have snow on top of a nice sheet of ice. <laughs> Oh, so that's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. That's dangerous. I remember... What about your childhood, my friend? You yeah, your I, was, I was just going to say, I remember being a kid, and I don't know, my dad listens to this show, so if I get it wrong, <laughs> but I remember going out as a really little kid and helping him shovel. And I don't know if I did that all the time or only one time, but I remember distinctly being there with my little toy plastic shovel, and he's there with his you know, real shovel. But, um, but I, I just, I just remember that. And, and mm-hmm. it, we grew up, my young childhood was in, um, upstate New York in a town called Oneonta. And, oh, oh, you got snow. We got snow. It felt like, and again, I was smaller, so I don't know if the, uh, perspective makes a difference, but boy, it felt like we got feet and feet of snow every winter. And that was so much fun. So mm. much fun. And we could build tunnels to go through, and that was, that was a blast. 
So well, I, I, I know. I think it's it's objectively the case that there's a lot of snow up in in upstate New York, right? I think it's yeah. still the case. And yeah. Buffalo, please, the people of Buffalo, mother of the saints, they got two feet of snow. Just <laughs> what was the last weekend? Yeah, yeah. But you see, but they're used to it, though. Yeah, they're used to it. But see here. I think we're kind of used to it in Connecticut. I think they do a decent job of cleaning uh, the highways for sure. I mean, they really do a decent job. It's the it's the our fellow drivers that really need to have a a wake up call. The way they drive is ridiculous. Yes, just because you can go doesn't mean you can stop. <laughs> well, exactly. And I I uh, I had somebody tailgate me when I was going to uh, to uh, to Milford. They were literally I couldn't see wow. his bumper. Oh my god. How close are you? Scary. And there's only one lane. There's only one because on the merit, I guess the snow kept blowing. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not speeding up. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And finally he the person, whoever it was, went around me and was just like flying down the merit. I'm thinking to myself, you you got to have your head examined. <laughs> I I wanna ask you um about the winters that you spent in Rome too, but I want to tell you one quick story that I think you'll enjoy. It just popped in my head mm-hmm. when uh, mm-hmm. when Rule and I first got married, um, and uh, we I used to shovel my driveway, the walkway in front of our house, uh, the sidewalk, and then um, oftentimes the neighbor because the neighbor was elderly on one side, and the other side was a guy about my age. And one year we got so much snow, and Rula was pregnant, visibly pregnant, and. I was standing looking through the front window at all the snow that had piled up. And she said, are you going to go out and shovel? And I said, no, just a minute. Because my neighbor, who was my age, just bought a snowblower. And so I saw him. He had just gone out with his snowblower. And I said, here, put your coat on and (laughs) take the shovel. And she said, are you crazy? I said, go out there, go out there. So she took the shovel and she went out there. And as soon as he saw her, he was like, no, 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 no. And he blew all of our stuff for us. Oh, Steve, I didn't think you had it in you. Wow. Uh, There's a part of me that has to say that's a little deceptive. A part of me is very proud of you. Depends. I have like a conflict here going on. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway. So uh, t- tell us about um, winters in... Oh, uh, winters in Rome. Well, first of all, Rome is unique. Everybody knows it's unique. Living... Living in Italy is a unique experience because the Italians basically walk to their own beat, even in their big cities. It just mm. is what it is. And what surprised me in Rome was how cold it gets in Rome. And it does. Um, and it's cold. I mean, there are palm trees in, 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 in Rome. So it's not a sustained cold. But when it gets cold, it's cold. Hmm. And the housing, much of it is stone. So then once it gets cold, then you are perpetually cold. The casa was just, the casa, God knows how old the building is, maybe 300 years old. Who knows? I mean, maybe a little less. I don't know. I, I don't even recall at this point. But it was basically stone building. Yeah. So November into December, Christmas, it was fairly comfortable because this is central heating. But when January rolls around and it gets really cold, those spells, one day, two day, and the building itself physically, structurally Mm. gets cold, then you're like, even when the heat comes up, you're cold. 
And that could last into like April. Oh, my. So there's a benefit on the other end because as things start warming up, you're still cool. Yes. Right? Until it then heats up. And then it's like a furnace. <laughs> furnace. Did you I get snow? Having, oh, go ahead. Um, snow. Uh, in my time in Rome, it snowed once in okay. five years. Okay. And I mean, snow, I mean, it wasn't like, I guess you could have shoveled it, I suppose, but not really. I mean, you could see it, it covered everything, but oh, there was like apoplexy, absolutely apoplexy. <laughs> I don't think anybody went to work. They, they all stayed home having their cappuccino, relaxing, waiting for it to warm up. Beautiful. <laughs> Because they have no equipment. They have nothing. They're zero. And, and again, and again, to be fair, unlike cement sidewalks that are a bit porous and asphalt streets, a lot of Rome is cobblestone. So if you do have a glaze, it is extremely slippery, wow. extremely slippery. So, I mean, not to make, make light of it too much. I mean, there's a basic wisdom, wisdom that until it melts, you really, and you can't shovel it. You can't, with cobblestones, you can't. You destroy the streets. So right. You really just got to endure it. Yeah. So I can understand that. But it was just funny because it was not so much the physical reality. It's just the emotional response, which is on the, ra- on, on the news. It was like almost, it was almost comical. You would think it was a national emergency, like they were <laughs> air bombed or something. It was just amazing. <laughs> So, so that it only happened once. It only happened once, but cold rain a lot. Mm. Cold rain. Yeah, and that's that's dreary. That's the worst. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It is. And we've talked about this too before. My favorite season of the year is the fall, because of our experience back home here. You know, the beauty of it, the coolness of it, right? Yes. And all the rituals we've associated with harvest. And all that, it's just, I love it. Absolutely. In Italy, you don't have that. You don't have the harvest piece. You don't necessarily have the foliage. And so fall is a different experience for me. It was a different experience there. And going into winter was different. Huh. But what, what I very much appreciated in the winter experience in Italy was the centrality of the Immaculate Conception which we don't have here, in the, certainly in the culture, and even in the church so much. But there, the place to go was the Novena to the Immaculate Conception at the Dodici Apostoli, right? Which is the basilica that Peter and James are buried in. Uh, not Peter and James, uh, uh, James and John are buried in. And... Um, People came from all over Rome for that because it was the inauguration of the Christmas season at the end of the novena, like we've talked about. So it was it was part of that. It was part of the devotion to Our Lady. It was the it was the vespers that were celebrated and the, the the celebrations during the day, the masses. It was just it was just a beautiful, beautiful spiritual experience. It really was. It was, and and in our diocese, for example, Saint Mary, uh, Saint Mary's in Stanford, um, Saint Mary's in Greenwich, when Father Lapistine was there, and now he is the rector of the Basilica. He does the novena to Our Lady, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's very well attended, and I'd recommend to everybody who's listening to go. Beautiful prayer, beautiful music, just a great. So that's also kind of in my head for winter, yeah. which is apart from my experience here in the United States. 
Mm-hmm. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so uh, we'll take a break now, Excellency. When we come back, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about, um, it's still the new year uh, calendar-wise. We're going to talk about some spiritual resolutions when we come back. You're listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network with Bishop Frank Caggiano. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. So, um, Excellency, New Year's resolutions. Before I ask you about spiritual resolutions, um, mm-hmm. h- how's it going with your uh, New Year's diet resolution so far? Dead. Completely <laughs> dead. That's your next question. <laughs> yeah, it, it lasted a whole three and a half days. It's terrible. I shouldn't even say this in public. People can think like I have no willpower. Three and a half days is horrible. Because, why? Because all this stuff was left over. And it's yeah. just sitting there. And I was told, throw it out, it's a sin. <laughs> so, well, it's probably no, it's, difficult. It's probably difficult in your position, too, because you probably get a lot of stuff. You can't just, you know, as gifts and and people want to give you, you know, food and. And please, let's off for the record. Don't stop sending it in. okay? (laughs) let's not jump to hasty conclusions here. (laughs) Especially don't stop sending in, for example. (laughs) Strufoli. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, my God. All right. So, okay. um, So it didn't last long. And I tried to restart three times. didn't work. Okay. So now I throw myself upon the mercy of God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) you know, the the spiritual side of things is is, uh, just as important. Just as important. Far more important. Far more important. So... I mean, the, the truth is, I mean, all honesty... I've noticed as I go along, and this is not an attempt to, to comfort myself. You know, priests I haven't seen in a while when I would visit them. A lot of people have put on weight because of COVID, because of the sedentary life that we have been living. And the fact that we have access to food more on a regular basis because we're in our, in our, in our homes or in our offices rather than traveling from place to place. 
And so I think it afflicts a lot of people. And while our health, our physical health, is a gift that God has given us that we must respect, it also affects our spiritual health. And that's a second reason why we need to attend to our physical health. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And another reason to attend to our physical health is that if we don't take care of ourselves, we can inadvertently create a terrible burden on the people we love. Yeah, right. Who may have to care for us in a time of sickness, whether that's temporary or could even be permanent. Right. So all kidding aside, our physical health, there's a deep spiritual foundation for taking care of ourselves. Our body is a gift, yeah. a part of who we are. Yes. My difficulty is, not to get too, too deep into personal stuff, but my difficulty is I easily fall into the habit of working very hard during the day, which I do. And then at night saying to myself, okay, it's time for a little... Uh, I was going to say like w w gratification, something to reward myself for mm -hmm. all the great stuff that got done. <laughs> and nine times out of 10 now in the last few years, it's wound up with food. Yeah. And that's very bad. It's not good. Right. So that's a whole nother story. But now, <clears throat> so I'm going to keep trying. I will come to a future podcast and declare victory, but not, we're not there yet. We're, we're in the bunker trying to figure out a new strategy. Um, but as for the spiritual resolutions, uh, as I did last year, so too this year, they're intimately tied to the experience of the pandemic. And in some way, shape or form, they're intimately tied to the question of spiritual encouragement, fostering spiritual hope at least for me, as well as a discernment on the roots of my sinfulness. So I do not look at the plant, but I look at the root. And I'm not exactly sure if, if you or any of our listeners have made spiritual resolutions, but the truth is, in about four weeks, you have a perfect time to do them, because mm -hmm. the beginning of Lent is the ideal time. And it's only, what, five, four weeks, five weeks away? And to really give thought about the roots would be tremendously important to make resolutions. So if we miss January 1, we have early March to start again, right? Yes, yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I think every, there are a lot of people who are at challenged places now two years into the pandemic i get that sense that people are a lot of people are on edge they're more testy they lack patience they're more they tend more to to complain about things that perhaps in the past they would have been more patient not to complain about there is um a dispiritedness among some that like, what is life going to look like when this becomes an endemic since it's not going away? There's a lot more division. We become much more militaristic in our response. Um, does any of that resonate in your experience of looking at the things and people around you, Steve? Or am I 
overly pessimistic. Yeah, no, uh, for sure. I think that's that's definitely true. Um, and for me, <clears throat> I don't know if these are spiritual resolutions, but they're non-physical resolutions that I made. And um, mm -hmm. one is to um, always assume good intentions behind s somebody's actions, even if the action mm -hmm. to me seems wrong. Assume that they meant right. Um, and then the other is to try to bring more peace to, to those around me. And how you concretize that is really where the rubber hits the road. I think those are great resolutions. I, um, so I ask myself, um, what would I need in my, what do I need in my life to strengthen my hope in the future? And what do I concretely need to do to keep myself motivated and encouraged to move forward? So there's a basic instinct that we all have to, to quote unquote, gratify or reward ourselves for work done, for contribution done. So one of the tricks that I'm, that I'm working through is to say, on a spiritual level, what are the things I enjoy that I need to focus in on so that I can encourage myself in the work that I know I still need to do, which is a ton of it, right? Just to invite people back and get them back into worship is itself a monumental task, right, that lies before us. And it's interestingly, recently a, a wonderful uh, man who, who I've befriended um, gave me some uh, uh, Christmas gifts on the beauty of the universe and the testimony of a scientist who was once atheist who speaks of God as transdimensional. And I've just begun to read both. And it's, 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 well, it's, it's, I'm grateful for the gift because again, you, I love that, and I often neglect it. It's given me the opportunity to go back to it, and once I go back to it, I feel a sense of 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 wonder and and encouragement and enthusiasm and energy that has nothing to do with food, <laughs> and it helps me to pray. So when we speak of spiritual resolutions. It really, in my mind, it really comes down to a noble spiritual goal, but it's the details on how we operationalize it. That is where you have to give some real clear thought yeah. to make it a reality. Mm -hmm. I think two of the things that I've heard you say before, Excellency, that probably mm -hmm. fit in right here are uh, you've said that we should um, avoid the potholes and also embrace oh. the thorns. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, it's great. Yeah, thank you for reminding me because if you use the image of a highway and you, you think of yourself, okay, we're driving along the highway of life and the destination is heaven, eternal life. Then the church has always told us what the guardrails are. So the guardrails are the disciplines of the spiritual life. 
right? So it is the sacraments, particularly attendance at Mass. It's daily prayer for a cleric, a religious, and a, a, a lay person who wants to commit themselves to this. Then it would be the Liturgy of the Hours and the prayer of the Church, all right? So those are the guardrails. Those are non-negotiable. And they will keep you somewhere on the highway. But it doesn't dictate how fast you're going to walk, how fast you're going to travel the highway. That is in part the grace of the Holy Spirit you invite in your heart and your willingness to cooperate with that spirit. And then you start moving along and you have that experience right in your life. I've had in mind where things seem to be going well and things are falling into place and you seem like you're making progress and all of a sudden, boom! You hit a pothole. And it slows down. So what are those potholes? Their sins, our faults, our failures that slow the, the, the velocity. So another way to look at spiritual resolutions is to say, okay, how many potholes are out there and which ones can I address um, in the next six months to try to smooth them out, fill them in? Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. Academically, there is software that now exists that can create a diagnostic, they're a diagnostic tool that can actually identify those obstacles on a personalized basis in students that prevent them from understanding certain concepts, whatever that concept may be. So for example, a child in the fifth grade, I'm making this up because I don't exactly know what the curriculum in math is, but let's say mm -hmm. it's um, complex fractions, uh, the uh, addition of complex fractions. Right. Conceptually, there are some basic concepts a child needs to understand in order to operationalize the solution. Mm -hmm. You have three children in front of you. They may not all grasp all of the concepts equally well to be able to operationalize the solution. And a teacher may not always understand what it is a child does not understand to, open, to fill in the pothole. But there is software now that actually identifies it in personalized, individualized learning. Wow. So that the teacher can go to Steve and say, Steve, I think this is, you may not understand, do you understand X? No, then help me to, uh, I hope you to understand it. Suddenly the pothole is filled, which is different from Frank or what he would need. Spiritual life is the same way, right? The potholes in your life are different from mine and the potholes change in the seasons of our lives from when you're a young man to when you're a middle-aged man to an older person. And therefore, you need to always identify. But there's no diagnostic tool, you know, online to do that. That's the discernment of the Holy Spirit in your life. The spiritual direction, please God, one may have. Or the spiritual accompaniment we can all have with friends and spouses and neighbors and even children who can mirror back to us some of the things they see in us. And then you go to the playbook of the church and say, okay, I'm short with individuals. I'm not as patient as I used to be. I tend to be a little bit more cynical of the things I have. And there's an edge to me on social media I never saw before. So I ask you, Steve, what's the pothole? Are there four potholes or is there one? It's an interesting question, because are there four manifestations of a basic root? It could very well be 
that it's a lack of charity that unites all four, or inordinate pride that re responds to all four. So you can either, like they do in the city, come around with the truck and put some asphalt in the hole, which is a temporary fix, mm -hmm. or do you actually fix it? Cut it out, put the base in, the cement, put in the asphalt, bring in the the uh, the, the men with the, the whatever that thing is that's, I forget what you call it, with the heavy roller, mm -hmm. and you seal it. It's part of what has to be discerned with spiritual resolutions. How deep do you want to fix the potholes? <laughs> so mm -hmm. I, I think I think most everybody listening wants to do that, Excellency. So how do we do mm -hmm. it? We do it with is is the only way to do it through spiritual direction with like a priest or, or somebody or you know, what can we do to to get to that? Again, uh, this may sound Pollyanna and idealistic, but but for those of you on this listening to this podcast who have the great privilege to be married, it is your spouse who is your principal spiritual companion. And one of the resolutions we could all make for those, particularly those who are married, is are you willing to listen to what your spouse says to you? of what he or she observes in you? Are you willing to listen to the critique? Honey, you're kind of, you know, you got a short fuse over. I mean, I, what's going on? I don't have a short fuse. Oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> so are you willing to hear it? And then maybe with humility, ask your spouse, when did you see a change and how did you see a change and help me out here? You don't need to go to the to a, a center of spiritual direction first and foremost, because those of you who are married have direction built in hmm. to your marriage. And if you say, well, you know what, Bishop, you got to be kidding. You don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. She's not going to do that. Hmm. Well, then that maybe is a spiritual resolution. Hmm. Because you, you're, you're losing part of the potential beauty of being married. Yeah. And, uh, and for the single folks? The single folks, you can achieve the same thing in a true Christian friendship. Now, should you have a formal spiritual director? Of course you should. But the point is, until we get to the point where there are enough people to cover 465,000 Catholics if everybody decides to come forward, um, there's a natural mechanism there. Yeah. See, in the end, what's the essential purpose? No, what's the essential pr prerequisite to spiritually accompany someone else? Among them is the following, that they know you as well, if not better, then you know yourself. And a spouse knows that. A dear friend knows that. And a willingness on the part of the person to listen to what is being said to them. That begins spiritual accompaniment. Boy, talk about taking a step in humility to do that, to open yourself up to that. Boy, wow. Right. And, 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 and you have to presume, and rightfully so, 
that a spouse or a dear friend that says something to you is saying it out of love. They're not saying to beat you up. They're saying yes. it out of love. And if you listen to it with humility and you are able to, with their help, with God's help and grace, and with professional help in the sense of a spiritual director, if you have access to it, or a priest or your pastor or the deacon or someone that you could, who is not intimately related with you, then you are better able to love your spouse. You're better able to serve the family. You're better able to be the Christian you were meant to be. So you come out to be the winner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, and oh, gosh, I hope this doesn't sound self-serving, but I mean it sincerely. Um, uh, one other avenue for opening yourself up for reflection um, you can, you know, resolve to do spiritual reading, but which is, you know, obviously a good thing to do, but an easy way to soak in Catholicism and, and, and spirituality mm -hmm. and, and opening yourself up is to listen to Catholic radio. I mean, because it kind of well, puts you right. in a mindset. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I have another idea, if I may. Can I have another idea that I could share? And I, I did it for many years. And in the last four or five years, I stopped. And something inside of me tells me that was a foolish decision and I need to go back to it. And that is to journal. Hmm. To journal. It's not meant to be shared with anyone, necessarily. But to speak about the inner movements of your heart. Right? To be totally honest in any given, at the end of any day or the start of a new day, reflecting on the day past. What are the things that you're grateful for? What were the things that happened for which you had no answer for? What are the, the occasions in your life where you failed? Right. What, what, what was the fruit of your prayer? How did you feel when you finished your prayer? What weighs on your mind and heart? What, why that's extraordinarily important is because it becomes a mirror to yourself. Because when you go back on those journal entries a month later, two months later, six months later, you're at a different place, and therefore you go back to your own experiences in a different way. And you begin to realize six months later, which you could not realize in the moment. Mm. Yeah. So not that you give yourself direction, but you give yourself an understanding of, of, of your own inner life that then you could share with someone if, if the occasion arises that you in the immediate you you just don't see so i would recommend if people are looking for spiritual resolution you know take up journaling and it doesn't have to be the uh the magna carta every day <laughs> but whatever strikes you yeah and just date it and keep them private yeah and go back to them periodically it's an amazing exercise really mm -hmm. and and uh before our time is up. I wanted to ask you if you could spend a couple minutes on this idea of embracing the thorns. Yeah. Uh, we talked about the cannonball. Remember with St. Ignatius and how yes. the cannonball landed in his lap and changed his life. <clears throat> you look at the life of St. Paul and Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh. And a man who suffered so much, you would say to yourself, you got to be kidding that he also has a thorn in the flesh. But a thorn in the flesh... I've always associated with the, the crucified Christ and the, the piercing of his side that entered into his sacred heart. One of the great fallacies 
that we fall into is our own self-sufficiency. The routine of life, the fact that we could sustain ourselves relatively without too many problems, lends a false narrative that we're, we're okay, everything's okay. I mean, <laughs> I'm gliding along life. And um, we're only doing that by virtue of the grace of God. The thorn in the flesh, whatever it may be, is the constant perennial reminder that without God's grace, you really can't achieve anything. The discomfort opens you up to seek eternal, lasting comfort that comes from the grace of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ from God the Father. Entrance into the life of God. So Paul never resolved the thorn of the flesh. And I wondered to myself, in his struggle to come to terms with it, maybe that was in part what powered him to endure all the other sufferings of his life. Because mm. the only way he could endure it is through the grace of God. Yeah. Right? And I can give a perfect example of what I mean. A person may for whatever reason, um, be very self-conscious of the way they look. And, you know, we, we're in a world where you could change that by so many different ways, plastic surgery, but prescinding from all that and grew up always conscious of the way they look and they always longed for that to be something other than what it is. That can be kind of like a thorn in the flesh. Hmm. Right? But that thorn in the flesh... Um, it's not to say that you don't want to do whatever you can to look attractive, because that's natural. It's a natural desire to be attractive and to attract others. But if there's a limit to it, then there's a basic response to that. And you ask yourself, well, what is the real beauty God is worried about, concerned about, eternally in love with? Is it the fact that I look like Rock Hudson? <laughs> Which will decay mm -hmm. before my very eyes. Or is it the lasting beauty, which right now I'm preoccupied with the physical beauty and I'm not so much interested. And then the one in the flesh said, well, then put your eyes on what matters. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And think of our young people who in this cosmetic, superficial, consumeristic, materialistic world beats into their minds about beauty being only skin deep. How much suffering and pain have they endured growing up? But, but, uh, to characterize this thorn in the flesh, for those who can say to them, help them, but you know what? Yeah, your beauty is, is important, but you're beautiful because of many other reasons. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's an interesting thing. So the spiritual resolution could simply be, well, I use the thorn in the flesh that I have in my life or the thorns in my flesh for, for an opportunity to grow in my love of God and do, can I allow God to make himself present to me through them? It's an interesting question. Yeah. Amen. Mm -hmm. let's, uh, let's take a break. Um, um, I think if we if if we can really put into practice those spiritual resolutions that you said, 
that you mm-hmm. that you gave us, Excellency, then uh, we're free to enjoy as much strufoli as we want. Then, amen. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> not as well. But if anybody has extra, they want to send. Go right ahead. <laughs> All right, we'll be back with a listener question. This is Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. <laughs> Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, here's uh, this week's question that came in. It says, Bishop Frank, how does someone know if he has a vocation to the priesthood? What a tremendous question, and I'm glad the person asked it. Um, I would say that there are multiple voices that confirm that this is something that you need to explore. The first is the voice, your inner voice in the quiet of your heart, where you feel a deep attraction or a desire to be a priest. I had that since I was a boy. Then you have the voices of the people around you who will say to you, oh, young man, I think, do you ever consider being a priest? Because they see priestly qualities in you. And quite frankly, as a community of faith, we don't do enough of that, right? We We don't do enough confirming. Yeah. We just smile. Right, because that a young man who seems to be pious going to mass, go up and say something. Yes, because right? that's exactly what you're thinking. But he can't read minds. <laughs> right? So there is. So there's the confirmation, and then if you're not ultimately sure, then that is why the college seminary exists, because it's the place where you continue your education on the collegiate level. But also you have the tools, prayer, um, liturgy, spiritual direction, and the study of the spiritual life to help either to confirm or to say, I do want to have a spiritual relationship with the Lord in the church, but it's not as a priest. So your inner sense, the voices around you, right? And then the experience of going to interformation that will help you to discern are the pieces to the puzzle until you say before Christ, yes, Lord, I can hear this. I can yeah. hear you. Yeah. And then the rest of the formation continues. And talk, and talk to your, your local priest or your pastor. Right. And he's one of the voices. Yeah. And don't be, and listen, and the other thing that's important is do not think that all the voices around you will agree because they will not because mm. i didn't have that you will not have that but the voices that matter will be there whether those voices are parents or good friends or your local pastor the voices that matter will confirm it mm-hmm. all right so if you have a question for bishop frank send it into us on social media or you can email questions at VeritasCatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. And as every we do every week, we would like to thank Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. And Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, Would you please give us your blessing? May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. And may he grant you his peace. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
Steve, I'll see you in more snow in the forecast. I'll see you next week. Oh, boy. Thanks, Excellency. <laughs> Get your shovel out. <laughs>